today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to Today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. Welcome to today's workplace and thank you for joining us. Today, we are very excited to welcome to our show, Jay Jamrock, a well-respected futurist. Well, right off the bat, we have the draft Supreme Court ruling that came down. That's really, really scary. And some companies are already responding. Yeah. Okay. You know, yet Amazon, City, and many others who have added benefits to their package that if you're going to live in one of these states, and there's going to be about 26 states that will make it illegal to have an abortion or have offer health care for women. Um, that they will pay your way to an estate that does have it, that it where it is legal, and pay for the medical expenses to do it. So uh, companies are already start stepping up to say oh. this is wrong. But it's more than just the abortion issue. If you read the uh, opinion, which is just a draft opinion right now, there's always been a conflict in our country between originalism and liberalism in our constitution. So the originalists say that if it's not specifically stated in the constitution, it's not a federal responsibility, it's a state responsibility. And the more liberal says that no, uh, the 14th amendment gives people equal rights under the law so we can step in when a state uh, takes rights away from a minority of the population, et cetera, and pass laws that say you can't do that. So we, there's no slavery. Slavery is not mentioned in the constitution, but states had it because of states' rights and the originalism of the constitution said, you know, the uh, federal, the Supreme Court said we had to stay away from states' rights. But no, we eventually said, no, slavery is wrong. And to pass it, you know, voting rights was the same way. Uh, interracial marriage was against the law in many states until 1967. Uh, LB, I mean, uh, gay marriage was always legal in many states. Mm -hmm. uh, abortion was illegal in many states. 
And if they overturn Roe based on this opinion, which goes back to the originalist says, the opinion says that the original constitution did not say anything about abortion. So that now states can have, can take that right away from people because it's by, by its very nature, a state's right. Well, you can take away all those other things too. Women did not have the right to vote until the twenties. Uh, it, it just, there's tons of rights where, you know, I was married in 1974. That was only seven years after one of the states I, we were living in had over, the, the, the government had overturned interracial marriage being illegal in that state. Uh, and, and I have an interracial marriage and we were living in that state and it still was a backlash to that. So the amount of turmoil of taking away your freedoms in this country that we have taken for granted is astounding based on this draft opinion of the very conservative, of originalist, what they call originalist opinions of the constitution. Um, yeah. And it's scary and you're seeing some, some, some companies now so the ESG movement in companies um, has been very strong because I think we talked in our last thing about how employees are now having more leverage. Mm -hmm. we so did. sustainability and ESG had always been in the past a program inside companies of social responsibility. That, and, but it was always based on consumers demanding that we be greener, we be, you know, uh, more aware of the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Today, it's employees who are demanding that their companies take more social positions and more social responsibility for what's going around. So you see what's happening with Disney. You see what's happening with uh, Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, you hear what's happening with Major League Basketball pro protesting things. And you're seeing a lot more activism inside companies. And now Amazon and City around this abortion issue. Um, you, many companies took pledges around Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd. It, it's just been very a lot of social activism in companies, which is very strange that the Republicans and, and corporations have always been hand in glove. Right. Now it's turning that companies and Republican-led uh, states um, are fighting over a lot of these issues. Mm -hmm. You know, it is interesting. It's a fascinating, fascinating and scary time. Fascinating and scary time. And it is interesting um, just from a political perspective that Republicans historically have been viewed as the party of business, right? I mean, that was always um, kind of their mantra is strong business policy, fiscal responsibility. And now we're seeing a shift when you look at these social um, issues where um, corporations and the ESG movement seems out of kilter with yeah. the Republican Party. Well, you know, the social responsibility was always something that became very popular up into, into the 60s with the civil rights movement, uh, affirmative action, voting, voting rights, and corporations were backing those kind of things. 
in the latter half of the 60s and into the 70s, um, there's a book that, uh, that Anderson wrote called Evil Geniuses, which talked about the uh, theory that the only social responsibility that a corporation has is to make a profit. Mm -hmm. And if they make a profit, they create more jobs. And that is the social responsibility to create jobs. And so the conservative side that around business latched onto this. And they said, the more we can support corporations to make more money, the more they help the economy, the more they create jobs, the more they create equality that way, rather than through social programs. So they cut taxes for corporations and they gave corporations special grants, special uh, incentives, et cetera, to grow the economy. And so the rich got a lot richer thinking that if they got richer, if corporations got richer, they would actually create more jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, as corporations got richer, they didn't create a lot more jobs. They started creating a lot more money for themselves. Right. I read that somewhere. Yeah. You read the book, Evil Geniuses, and it really comes home to roost of how much management and corporations have had the leverage in the labor market over the last 40 years whether it's on purpose or not, how they've created this have and have not society that we're living in today. Yeah. And how that has shifted. I mean, that's part of what we Yeah, I think it is shifting. And I I think there's been a sea change. Definitely. Uh, And I can show you some graphs if you want to see those graphs. But anyway, I think that's a huge issue that, I mean, I saw some of the issues you wanted to talk about. Those are great issues. And let's, let's get into those. But as I'm talking right now, I think this is a huge issue for us going forward as a country and as corporations. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, because what people are experiencing um, in terms of of what they perceive as fairness and equity in the workplace, right? Right. Um, Particularly when it's economic related will greatly impact than the political trends and the things, you know, and how we shift politically. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We need people to really feel the pain and come out and vote mm-hmm. and vote for the right people. We have a lot of crazy people running for government. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be able to get the ones who really, who really believe in freedom and democracy and our way of life is, yeah. can be better. I mean, you don't want people to have abortions, but you don't have any child care. You don't have universal health care. You don't have any assistance for single moms that can work. Your health care isn't subsidized. We don't have uh, any um, uh, help with uh, drugs and the price of drugs. And all those bills that have been passed, especially the Women's Health Act, which has been passed the House, but did not, was shot down by the Senate, are not being passed. Um, So you want, they want women to have children, irregardless of how they got pregnant, but they give them no support afterwards. Zero. Not the health care, either the physical or the mental uh, support, as well as the, the tangibles that you already you know, don't know what 17 year old girl is ready to be a mother. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately and painfully, 
there are 11 to 15 year old girls yeah, yeah, facing yeah. the same. Correct. You know, yeah. And it's, you know, the cost of that on society is tremendous. I think it's a lot more than they think, now, you know. We want right to life, but we have a death penalty that we want to keep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it, but well, I'm not that smart. Well, we've, we've just come through a, a era of historic contradictions, you know, so unfortunately we continue that's... with historic contradictions yeah it's getting even more so but anyway we're getting into politics and we probably shouldn't get go there we're going to talk for a minute now about cultural renovation that was where yeah. we ended um, yeah. our last episode and we talked about the concept of cultural renovation and the work that um, your organization especially kevin oaks has done around cultural uh, culture renovation. So what is renovation? How does it differ from transformation? And how does an employer accomplish this kind of renovation that leads to a well-functioning workplace? So we went into the study um, and I headed up the study. Kevin, by the way, is a tremendously good writer. And he took the research and did a lot of interviews of companies and actually put a very well-written book together. And that takes all our research and really lays it out in a great pattern. So we've, what happened is we did a study on culture transformation, culture change, because mm -hmm. that was the popular term. And when we looked at the data, there was over 7,000 companies that responded to the survey. So we, I, I was in data heaven because I love data and tell the story. And we had a number of uh, dependent variables that we were looking at that we could compare the independent variables to. So dependent variable is something that like market performance or healthy culture or productivity or transformation success. Uh, and we could look at correlations between what companies were doing and that, those factors. When we looked at the data, I was very um, skeptical of whether or not companies could actually do a culture transformation. Because when you look at culture, culture is a multidimensional animal that is very hard to get your hands around. So the culture at the top of the organization is different than the culture at the bottom of the organization. Mm -hmm. Culture in HR will be different than the culture in sales or IT. They have a different language and a different secret handshakes, I guess. The culture in the Boston office is not the same as the culture in the LA office or the Hong Kong office or the Paris office. So these all there's thousands of subcultures within an organization, okay? So how do you do a culture transformation across a large organization like Microsoft, let's say? Mm -hmm. uh, and how do you, that's one of the companies we highlighted in, in the book. And so how do you do, it seems like impossible, doesn't it? Well, what we found with the data out of those 7,000 companies that were trying to do culture transformation, about 15% said they were successful. They said, wow, I mean, that's not a lot. Okay, because of the database, it was enough for us to really analyze what they were doing differently. 
And so we looked at the data and there were about 18 things that they were doing differently to be successful. And we divided them up into three categories called plan, build, and maintain. What we saw was the companies that were successful were not trying to transform or change their culture. What they were doing is renovating their culture. They were looking at the past and said, what was successful in the past? And can we renovate our culture to actually build on what was successful in our past? Can we get rid of the things that are holding us back and keep the things that made us a success in the past? So it's more like renovating your kitchen. Your mm-hmm. kitchen is still your kitchen, but you'll change the countertops from Corian to granite, okay? Uh, or you'll change the cupboards. It's still a kitchen. You're just renovating. You're making, you're modernizing it. You're making it more sellable, whatever. And that's exactly what successful companies were doing. They were renovating it, uh, their culture. They weren't trying to completely change it or transform it. They were actually looking at building on success of the past and really looking at it to find out where are the things that are holding us back or that we had accumulated over the years that we should have not of and let's get rid of those. Okay. So there, you know, there were 18 things we found. There were six things around planning. One of the bigger things around planning was the culture champion in a renovation has to be the CEO and has to set the tone. And that senior leadership team has to fully buy into that. And they have to communicate, 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 communicate. And then when they think they've communicated enough, you got to communicate more. So it's, that's that ownership is where it starts there. The companies are successful in, in, in renovating. They also had listening strategies mm-hmm. where they went out and actually listened to people, what was working, what was not working. And all those subcultures that I talked about, what, you know, is there something that cuts through all those subcultures that we can say is our culture? that we may have had in the past that we want to have again. Um, so at Microsoft, there was a couple of them, you know, innovation was a big part of it, but a growth mindset was another big thing that they used to have when a long time ago, uh, but they lost. And so they wanted to get back to that growth mindset kind of way of thinking. And the CEO talked about it all the time and gave examples of it, like, they uh, had a, uh, an AI bot that they called Tay. Mm-hmm. And they put it out there. And what people quickly learned was this was AI. It wasn't a human being, it was AI. And of course, AI learns from what it is given. Given, right. So people started giving it misogynic and racist kinds of stuff. And when it answered your questions, it gave misogynistic and racist answers. And they had to pull the plug within an hour because that's how fast it was going down the wrong track. So Satya, who wrote the book, Hit Refresh, which is all about hitting refresh at Microsoft, uh, came out right away and said, building on a growth mindset, we will apologize to our customers. We did it wrong. We will get it right the next time. Let's learn from our mistakes and go forward. Uh, and not dwell on them, but go forward. And, but we'll learn from them. Um, so 
it was all about that listening strategy all the time. And Microsoft actually has a daily pulse survey of their employees. So um, they're listening to their employees every day. IBM does it. Amazon does it. Many companies now have these listening strategies. And the, uh, and, uh, the executive team will go out on listening tours and just listen to what the employees are saying. The ones who are great right now with this return to quote unquote office kind of philosophy or whatever they're gonna do, they're on listening tours right now, listening to their employees, listening to their needs, listening to their wants. So it's a whole listening strategy. That's the planning phase. And there's other one things important in there. Then you have the building stage. And one of the key things around the building stage is identify your blockers and get rid of them. Okay, you can do it humanely, but they cannot remain in your organization if they're gonna block your going forward in your culture. And so identify them. And there's ways to do this. There's called organizational network analysis. There's different ways of looking at how the organization is networked, who the energizers are, who are the blockers, who are the influencers in the organization, and really leverage them and get rid of the blockers. The other thing is giving all levels of managers a lot of training. Uh, what are the behaviors we want in this new renovative culture that we're going to have? And really giving them the training, then measuring and rewarding them or recognizing those who have it. So the people who are high performers have got to have the right behaviors. So they got to have the training and the right behaviors that align with the culture. Okay? Those who get promoted have got to have the right behaviors. And so it's a whole thing of you got to build that momentum. And then afterwards, you've got to maintain. And that means a lot of stuff around HR, all the HR stuff around how you hire, how you develop, how you, your performance management, all the different things that HR does have to be aligned to that culture that you want to maintain because it has to be maintained. Um, so there's three phases that uh, we saw that successful companies did well above everybody else. I mean, it was remarkable when I looked at the data and I started cut, cutting it by success and not success. It was remarkable how, how consistent it was with these 18 things and how organizations were success, the successful organizations who were really doing a good job with their cultures. And we had a healthy culture index too. So, and, so before you talk about that, Jay, I had a question about these successful uh, companies. Was your research or your study able to get into a little bit about what was the differentiating factor that made them successful? Were they investing differently in people, programs, processes, systems, the focus that they would have like focus on uh, behaviors, you know? So what were the differentiating factors that- So made it wasn't the amount of money that they were investing. There was more money invested in communication and, and that sort of stuff from the CEO. Yes, and it was resources mm -hmm. that were provided, but it wasn't the amount of money. It was creating the mindset in the organization. Okay. And that had, that had a lot to do, there was more training, more dollar training given to both first-line supervisors, middle-level managers, and senior managers all had to go through training on what are the behaviors we're looking for for our new culture. Mm -hmm. There was a mindset shift towards 
what are we going to measure and reward? Because what gets measured gets done, what gets mm-hmm. rewarded gets repeated, or what gets recognized gets repeated. Mm-hmm. You know, and how does diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging factor into that cultural um, so renovation? So the cultural renovation itself, we did not see that DE and I played a big role in the success of it. But in maintaining it going forward, yes. So in the planning and building phase, no. But in the maintaining stage, because most companies want to have a culture of inclusion and belonging. Mm -hmm. And so having that is part of the mindset shift change that you need to have in your organization. Now, whether or not they're successful yet at that aspect of their culture is another thing. Uh, so we've done studies looking at si- since um, uh, the George Floyd incident and the Black Lives Matter movement, we've looked at the pledges that companies made and the successes they have made uh, uh, towards those pleasures, pledges, and it's not very good information. Uh, so there's a lot of pledges that have been made, but not a lot uh-huh. of success yet. So there's a ways to go. Um, There's good research that's being done in some companies around belonging and inclusion and how much it really helps with the retention and engagement of people. Very good research where they actually did um, control groups and study groups and giving different messages to each one. You know, before we leave this topic, um, I do think it would be helpful to step back We've talked a lot about culture. How do you define culture? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So there's a lot of different definitions. Okay. There's academic definitions, and then there's other kinds of definitions. One of the definitions that I liked that really played out during the pandemic was one by uh, Herb Kelleher, who used to be the CEO of Southwest Airlines. Right. And he said, culture is what people do when no one's looking. Wow, that, so, that's pretty clear and simple. Right. So culture is how you do your work. What yeah. is, you know, B.F. Skinner uh, talked about the environment and how the environment impacts your behavior and rewards and punishes certain behavior. So the culture is the environment you work in and all the unwritten rules that punish and reward your behavior, especially your behavior when no one's looking. Right. Okay. So what do you do when no one's, so I used to run a warehouse in my previous lifetime. And what would drive me crazy was having boxes left on floors. We had 55,000 line items. And when a box is left on the floor, it should be put on the shelf. It should be up there and people would walk around it. And I hated that. And so changing that culture was key to making my warehouse run more efficiently and effectively. And so I had to model the behavior, teach the behavior I want, but also model the behavior too. So I would get out of my desk and get out there in a warehouse and start putting copper pipes away and elbows and all kinds of things. I would be there doing it and they would see the behavior. I would speak the behavior and I reward people for doing that behavior, even especially if they did it when no one was looking. Mm -hmm. They just did it as part of their job. So it's, that's a simple example in a large corporation. It gets, you know, you have to multiply it through tons of managers do it behaving the same way. 
Right. So it's 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 hard to find because it's it's the rewards and punishments you get that are unwritten mm-hmm. or how work is done in an organization. Another example is, you know, if you have a union environment and the union uh, is dissatisfied with management, which is all the time, but you got certain people who will put in the overtime, will put in the extra duty, will do the extra stuff. The union, their colleagues call them, uh, you know, sc- uh, scabbers. Mm-hmm. give them terms so the environment is punishing them for doing the right behavior so a healthy culture the environment rewards people for the right behavior in a toxic culture it rewards them for the wrong behavior mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and so and toxic culture right now is the number one reason why people are leaving organizations yeah, it's 10.4 times more correlated to quitting than compensation is. Mm-hmm. And so toxic cultures are one of the things that we're addressing big time with our research right now. In fact, we have a whole thing where we can scrape social media to determine how toxic your culture really is, if it is at all. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reach. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.